Glad that you came to worship with us this morning. We'd love to extend the invitation to you right after service through those doors in our nearly completed Family Life Cafe. Uh, we will be having our Duncan with the pastors over there, and we would really love the opportunity to get to meet you. And uh, I'm really excited about the Family Life Cafe finally being almost finished. Uh, we're, we're hoping to be able to actually start serving coffee in the next week or so, uh, but we will not have our grand opening until Easter Sunday, which is April 17th this year. Uh, but also really excited to report in conjunction with our missions report um, that all of the proceeds that we get from our Family Life Cafe will go directly to missions so that we can continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody around the world. So I, I, I say you can go to Duncan and you can make Duncan rich, or you can go to Starbucks and make yourself poor, and or you can go to Family Life Cafe and give to missions. And so we're just really excited to be able to do that together. Uh, but it's a great day. I, I don't know about you, I was a little excited when I woke up this morning until I looked through the window. I'm a person, I like snow, don't get me wrong. But now it is spring, and it's time for the snow to go. So... I don't know if we need to wave goodbye or have some kind of say, whatever it is, but whoever did the snow dance, we're mad at you. Uh, but it is a great day, and, and Easter is actually coming. Uh, we have a lot coming, going on at the church leading up to Easter, and I'm just really excited about this. The more I stop and think about uh, everything that it entails, because I have a really big announcement to share for you. Are you ready? The King is coming. The King is coming. That should excite us, right? We, we are not just celebrating Easter eggs and candy and some weird, deranged, terrifying bunny. We are, ex we are celebrating that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has given himself as a ransom for every single one of us, and the King is coming. And, and it's something that we can really be excited about, and something I really wanted to take some time to look into over the next several weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. This idea of kingship, what it means to God, and what it means to us. Because God was very clear about the way that he wanted to be our King. And if, and if I'm trying to make a concise history lesson here for you, okay? The children of Israel, they were in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves. Then they were set free. They end up, they go because God's like, hey, I've got a promise for you. I want to take you into this land, give you your own land, make you your own nation. They look at it and they go, look scary. We don't think we can do it. So then God says, fine, then you're going to have to wait a generation and your children will get that blessing. So if you just don't want to believe me, that's fine. I'll bless your kids. Not a big deal. So they go into the wilderness. Then 40 years later, <clears throat> they enter the promised land and it's awesome. And God blesses them. And then for 180 years after that, God continues as the king over Israel. But then an event takes place about 180 years later. This is around 1000, 1050 B.C., we look at this place in time where Samuel, who is a prophet, has kind of been speaking for God, but here's a problem. His sons are not really great sons. Everybody go, aw. Yeah, that stinks. So his sons are really not great. So the people of Israel, they're a little worried about this, but they come up with a solution. And we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 9. Here is their plan. It says, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. <clears throat> look they told him you are now old that's hurtful and you're by the way just time out i am 39 okay <laughs> and it's not like that thing where it's like oh no i'm still 39 i'm literally 39 okay i will show you my driver's license i was born in 1983 you do the math anyway not 45 
Anyway, look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Here's their solution. God, it's been great that you've been our king. Things have worked out pretty well. You know, that whole conquest thing, taking over the region, setting up an empire, deposing of kings and kingdoms all around us. That's been great. We've enjoyed it. But we want our own king now. We want an earthly king now. And so you really look at this and the reasoning behind it is we want to be like everybody else. I don't know why this is. I mean, it's a human condition, right? We just, we kind of want to fit in. We, we don't want to be kind of a standout that, you know, stands out in the crowd. I mean, some people really enjoy that. But the average person just wants to fit in with everything and everyone else. And, and we're probably just as guilty of that as well. If you look around the room, most of you did your hair in a way that is acceptable. Some of you don't have any hair, but that's fine. Most of you dressed in a way that is socially acceptable. We thank you for that, Okay. Um, wearing clothes is really important when you come to church. We have all these things where we're like, let's do this, let's fit in. But here's the problem. In fitting in, sometimes we're falling out. When we're fitting in, sometimes we're falling out. And this is what Israel experienced when they said, hey, Samuel, can you just go talk to God and tell him we'd like to have our own king, a king just like everybody else has, a kingdom just like everybody else has, a palace just like everybody else has. We, you know, we see what they've got and it looks pretty good. You know, God, again, you've been great, but we just want something a little different now. And so Samuel, he's a little frustrated with this. He has to talk to him. He says, you guys need to understand what you're talking about. And the reality for us as we look at this, that to depose God as the king of your own life, to fit in with something or someone else has a cost. There's a cost when we decide for ourselves, I'd rather be led by an earthly king. I'd rather be led by this. And again, I'm not trying to make this political. This has nothing to do with who the president is or who the governor is or who the legislature is. None of that stuff has, comes into bearing here at all. What we're talking about is who is the king of your heart. And you know, I have really good news for you. For some of you who politics really brings a lot of fretting to you, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. What matters is who's in your heart. It doesn't matter who the governor is. What matters is who's king of your heart. These things, I mean, it was a mistake that Israel made that we sometimes repeat all the way in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They wanted to look at God more politically than they did relationally. And when God did not fill some role to be political, they were like, he must not be the Messiah. We want a different king. He's not doing for us the stuff that we want him to do. He's not setting up a kingdom for us like we wanted. He's not making us distinct and setting us. We want to be like everybody else. We're going to have to go about it by our own means. We're going to fit in. And if fitting in is what we have to do, it doesn't matter if we fall out. So there's just falling out with God that takes place because they're like, we just want to fit in and be like everybody else in the world. My challenge to us is to think how often this same idea comes into our own minds. You know, maybe we don't follow after a, a king. No, nobody's sitting around hoping for a monarchy to suddenly rise up in America. 
But we are led by things, social things, cultural things, the desires of our own hearts, this idea that is prevalent. You just got to do you. You've got to do what makes you happy. You've got to do what, what fulfill your dreams and chase after your own stars, write your own destiny. All of these things that we talked about, are they all come to the same thing. We're choosing a different king other than this one that might be king over our hearts. And so we look at this and there's just this great displeasure that comes into Samuel. Now Samuel, being the good guy that he is, doesn't yell at them, doesn't scream at them. It says he just goes to the Lord. We read this in verses 6-8. through eight. It says Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Listen to what God says. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me. They're rejecting me. They're, they're done with me. It's not you. Sam, you've done a great job leading the people. It's not you, Sam. They don't want me anymore. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Funny story, if you've ever read in the, the book of Exodus, is where you read about how Israel came out of Egyptian slavery. God does these incredible things. Ten plagues over Egypt, leads them out miraculously, makes the Egyptian people to load them up with wealth on their way out of town, takes them out when an army is about to come upon them. God splits the Red Sea and it says that they walk through on dry land with watery walls on both sides. They get to the other side, to the base of the mountain, and here's what they decide to do. They collect all the gold earrings and jewelry that they have in their possession. They melt it down. They form it into a golden calf. And then they say, Israel, this is your God. Whenever I read that, I think to myself, did I miss something? Did, did I miss something? We, we just made a golden calf and we just decided that all these great things that just happened are because of this thing that we just made. This is what happened. And I look throughout Israel's history, and this is exactly what God is speaking to, because he says, from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, they have rejected me and chased after other gods. From the very day that I brought them out and set them apart and made myself to be their king, from that very day, they have turned their backs on me and chosen themselves instead of me. And it's this concept of the de dejected deity. We read about it all through scripture, God being hurt by the actions of humanity. Maybe that's a new idea for you because it, maybe it's like a, a strange thought. Could God really be hurt by the things that we do? Yes, absolutely. In fact, if we read in the book of Hosea, uh, Hosea chapter 1, there's another prophet of Israel and God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to understand what it's like to be me. Hosea says, okay, God, what do I do? God says, I want you to go out and marry a prostitute. I want you to marry an unfaithful wife who refuses to be faithful to you, who has children that are not yours, who raises them up, and you're just stuck living in the middle of that. That's what it's like to be me, Hosea, because I have a people who they don't choose me. They just turn their backs on me, and they just reject me as their king, as their husband. They, they don't care for me. And you can really sense the hurt in God's voice. Now, there's a temptation to think that because God is omniscient, meaning He knows everything, that that somehow guards him from pain. Well, let me ask you this. If I were to tell you that tomorrow a close relative of yours is going to die, I could tell you the minute, the hour, the second that it's going to take place. Do you think that that would shield you from the pain of that experience? You'd still hurt. 
And God looks at this, and even though He knows what humanity is capable of, even though He looks and sees the decisions that we're going to make, the way it alters us and changes, it does not shield Him from the fact that He's hurt by the very people that He loves most. He says, why have they forsaken me? Why do they continue to turn their backs on me? And he says this to Samuel. Samuel, don't take it personally, Sam. It's not you. It's me. Ever since I saved them, they didn't want me. Ever since I led them through the wilderness, they didn't want me. Ever since I gave them a kingdom and, and just did everything you could imagine to do for them, just for whatever reason, they don't want me. They want something else. They want to be like everybody else. They want to worship the gods that everybody else worships. They just want to find peace in anything and everything except me. You know, I look at this and there's a temptation as we read through Israel's history to just look at them and be like, what fools? What fools? How could they make these mistakes? Can I just be honest with you? I'm just as guilty as Israel. I am just as guilty as them. There have been times in my life where I've chosen things that were not God. Times in my life where I was looking for comfort and I looked for it in something else instead of God. Times when I was looking for direction and I looked elsewhere other than God. There are times in our lives that we make decisions that we pursue things that are not God. And even though we can sense in our, in our lives, maybe even in our spirit, that God is trying to speak to us, trying to direct us, trying to draw us to Himself, we're just off in our own world doing our own thing. And it hurts the heart of God. He aches for relationship with His people. This last statement here that God makes, I think we could read one of two ways. The first way is this. Well, do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. I don't know why, but it sounds like an angry wife to me. Like, go ahead, try it. She's saying that because she knows on the other side, there's going to be a fantastic, I told you so. Fantastic. No, do that. I think you should really do that. Go ahead. I think we could read it that way, right? We, we could read into this that God's like, yeah, go for it. You guys want a king and you think that's going to be the best thing? You go ahead, you try that. And then there's just going to be this phenomenal, I told you so on the other side, because a king is going to wreck your world. So you go ahead and do that. Let's just, let's see how that plays out. However, I have to challenge myself in my reading of God's word that if ever I, I read something and God comes across as vindictive, that's not who he is. So let's read it maybe in the way that God would have intended it. Do as they ask. But Sam, would you, would you warn them for me? Would you tell them that there's going to be a cost if they let a king that isn't me rule over them? Would you warn them that Choosing something else other than me is going to hurt them. Would, would you just try to convince them that the best thing for them is me as their king, not, not anything else, because nobody's going to love them like I do. Nobody's going to fight for them like I do. Nobody's going to believe for them, Sam, like I do. They're my... They're my special possession and I love them so much. Could, Sam, could you tell them that? That there's going to be a cost. Knowing what I know about the character of God, I'm prone to believe that that was more his statement to Samuel than 
that of someone who is vindictive. He said, can you warn them about the cost of kings? Can you warn them about the cost of kings? Because there's a price to be paid when we go outside of allowing God to rule and reign in our lives. There's a cost when we go outside of God's plan and His will and His direction for our lives. There's a cost when we choose to be led by self. When we choose to be led by cultural norms and expectations. There's a cost when we choose to be led by an insatiable desire for more. Things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks these unfair and unjust leaders in our lives. And again, I'm not trying to be political here. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with a God that loves you so much that when every other king in existence in all of history has said, give me an army and send the expendable ones to die for my cause, said, no, there's a cause and a people worth dying for. And I would give my one and only son to save them. This is about a king who instead of acting on his right to be God over the universe, said, I would lay aside my deity to go and dwell among humanity so that I could save them. I would debase myself so that I could save them. That's this king that's coming. That's the king. And in the midst of this, there's God speaking to Israel. The same thing He would speak to us. Guys, there's a cost for choosing the wrong king. Guys, there's a cost for choosing an earthly king. For choosing to find hope or peace or satisfaction in something or someone that isn't me. There's a cost for doing that. And as He so kindly, gently spoke to, to Samuel and said, Sam, could you warn them? Could you warn them that this is what happens? Listen, I'll give you a spoiler alert on Israel's history. They were never the same again. And for 42 generations of kings, we just watched how none of them measured up to God. He said, give them what they want. If that's what they want, if that's what they choose, let them have it. But I hurt for them. I hurt for them. Church, there's a king coming. There's a king coming. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But you know, while he spoke to Hosea, and he said, Hosea, you just need to understand what it's like to be me, you know, being married to an unfaithful wife. It's, it's, it's terrible and it's hurtful. Listen, God said, when I come back, I'm coming back for a spotless bride. I'm coming back for a bride dressed in white who's worthy of me. I'm coming back for a bride that I have redeemed, that I love, that I have taken from the pit. I'm coming back for a bride who soiled herself in mud and muck and blood and everything else unimaginable in this world. But I cleaned her up and I made her pretty and I made her beautiful just for me. I'm coming back. And church, as we get into this season of starting to think about Easter and I get it. I, I love candy. I mean, you can tell. Easter egg hunts, they're fun. Family get-togethers, they're great. 
But what I think matters more than any of all of that is that there's a King coming. And as we sang moments ago, He's worthy of it all. God, You're worthy of it all. You're worthy to sit on the throne of my heart. Even though others have tried to sit there, sometimes I've put them there myself. I've put other things ahead of you. You know, I've been talking about this with my kids for weeks now as we've been studying the book of Isaiah together. All the places where God speaks through Isaiah to talk about the worthless idols that Israel had begun to pursue. And you know, we tell ourselves, well, we don't, we don't have any idols. Oh, yeah, we do. Sure we do. We bow down to Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, news outlets, sporting events, sports teams, democracy, government, politics. Because the definition of an idol is anything that I give more time and attention to than God. It's idolatrous. If I've got something in my life that means more to me than my relationship with God, it's idolatrous. God is supposed to be first. He wants to sit on the throne of your life and be number one. And just like Israel had a choice, you get to choose. Who is your king going to be? You want an earthly king? decisions that you get to make for yourself or maybe that other people make for you getting to be led in a direction that just seems good to everybody else you'll you'll be just like everybody else you'll fit in you won't look weird you'll, you'll it'll be fine you want that or do you want to hear the heart of a god who says i love you so much that i would give my only son to die on a cross to be your king I would, I would give up the most important thing in the universe to me. I would give up myself just so that I can have a relationship with you. And church, we get to decide. But a king is coming. Will you bow your heads with me? God, when I read through this portion of Scripture and see the hurt that you experienced from your people. And, and God, not just then, you, you experience it now. The times and places in our lives, my own, where I have chosen other kings, other thoughts, other leaders to steer my direction, to try to find hope or peace or satisfaction. God, every time we did so at the cost of taking you off of the throne of our hearts, And God, there's a temptation for us to hear your voice as angry, vindictive. But you are love. You are mercy and grace. And God, I pray that in this moment, you would just begin to speak graciously to us. As you did to Samuel. Begging for your people to heed the warning that there's a cost for choosing another king. That there's a cost for choosing to be led by something other than the King of Kings. And God, I pray that we would be so challenged by that. And that in our own lives, we would make the decision to put you back on the throne in our hearts. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to ask you if you're here, and maybe you have never in your life 
made the decision to say, I want to put God on the throne of my life. I want him to be the king of my life and lead me and guide me and direct every step. I want God to be my king. Or maybe you did one time in your life and you, you decided you wanted to follow God, but you look back at your own history and your own past and you say, you know what, I've been following after things that were not God. I've had things in my life that I, I, I sought more from them than I did from God. And I tried to draw closer to them than I did to God. But I want to take this moment. I want to choose God as the king of my heart. I want that today. If either one of those of you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want this king that's worthy of it all to sit on the throne of my heart. Anybody else? Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close together? I want to lead you in a prayer. And you know, allowing God to be the king of your heart is as simple as saying, God be the king of my heart. But it's as difficult as allowing him to be that king every day from here on out. It's not something we do one time. I didn't say a wedding vow to my wife and then just turn and walk away. In the same way, we don't do that to God. We want to have relationship with Him. He wants to have relationship with us. But I want to encourage you in this moment to make the decision and say, God, I choose you as my King. So will you pray this with me? King of heaven, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. I ask you to kick out every false leader and fake king that has ever sat in that place to establish your throne in my heart forever. Be my king. Oh God, we just invite you to be the king of our hearts. We invite you, Lord, to be the king of our hearts, to sit on the throne that is rightfully yours. And God, I pray that that would be not just a momentary decision, not just a here and now decision, but a lifelong decision, God, that when we are tempted to look at everything that everybody else looks at for comfort, that we would be drawn to the throne of grace. God, that you would sit on the throne of our hearts and be the king of our lives, that we would choose you day in and day out and never reach a point as Israel did where we just want a king like everybody else has. We want what everybody else has got. We want all the comforts that they have. We want all the things that they've got. Lord, we want to choose you because we know there's a cost for choosing another king. We want to live in your blessing. And so God, I pray that you will keep us in that place of desire for you, seeing your goodness in every aspect of our lives. God, we invite you to be the king. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let God be the king of your heart in everything that you do. Uh, if you are visiting with us, I'd love to invite you to our cafe just out those doors for our Dunkin' with the Pastors. I cannot promise calorie-free donuts, but we will gather together. And uh, Pastor Tyler will be meeting up front with our Easter Egg Hunt team. And if you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be here at the front to meet with you, to pray with you for anything. Have a blessed day.